0: If I were to ask you to state in one sentence how you would describe God, what would you say? I think there are two predominant views of God. There are those who see him as a doting, grandfatherly type of God who gives us whatever we request, whatever we desire. In other words, there are those who see God as some kind of cosmic Santa Claus. To the other extreme, there are those who think of God as being austere, judgmental, who enjoys punishing us for every wrong we do. The Bible tells us that God is a loving God, but that He also is just. And I think the reason we have difficulty sometimes reconciling these two concepts is we know that God loves us, but his love does not eliminate our suffering. Now, the Apostle Paul is addressing the Thessalonians, and he speaks about their suffering. In fact, he uses several words to describe it, to mention it, to point it out. In chapter 3, verse number 3, he uses the word affliction. In chapter 2, verse 14, he uses the word Suffering. In chapter 2, verse 15, he uses the word drove, which means driven out and rejected. It speaks of being persecuted. So then, God's love or being a Christian does not eliminate our suffering and our suffering does not exclude our joy. Even though we have suffering in our life, tribulation in our life, we nevertheless have joy. And as Paul spoke of the Thessalonians, he said of them that they have much tribulation with joy. And that is precisely what Jesus had promised. In John chapter 16, Jesus said in the world, you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So today we continue our study in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and we look at joy in tribulation. So take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, The Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hand of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men." hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. But we, brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Now, as Paul deals with the subject, he describes the people's circumstances. And he says, first of all, that within you is the word of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Christian, the believer can face any and all circumstances because of having the Word of God inside. And Paul said that they had accepted the Word. He is writing to the Thessalonians. He said they had accepted the Word of God. Now look at verse 13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the Word of God's message, you accepted it, Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. He said, you have received the word of God. The word that is used there literally means to take up with the hand. The image that Paul is presenting is that he had proclaimed to them the word of God, and they had taken it up. They had received it. So he said, you have received the word that I have proclaimed to you. But then he used the word, accepted. The word accepted means to welcome gladly. So what Paul is saying, the picture he is painting here, is that they had received the word and accepted it. To receive it means they received it as authoritative. They received the word of God as being with authority. When it says they accepted it, it means that they took it inside. So they received the word of God then as authoritative, and then they took it inside their lives. And then look at verse number 13b. Which also performs its work in you who believe. The word performs is the word from which we get the word energy. Now this is a beautiful picture to me concerning the word of God. Paul says that they received it. They took out the hand to take it. They received it. He said they accepted it. They took it into their lives. And he said when they took it into their lives, now the Word of God is energized within them to produce the fruit that God desires to produce in them. You see? When we receive the Word of God as authoritative, we take it into our lives, then the Word of God begins to produce in us the harvest that God wants to produce in our lives. That's the reason that those who... Receive the word of God. Cherish it. Warren Weersby said, The way a Christian treats his Bible shows how he regards Jesus Christ. He is the living word and the Bible is the written word. But in essence, they are the same. Let me ask you, do you cherish the word of God? Sure you do. Sure you do. Why? Well, because it's perfect. The Bible says in Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The Word of God is perfect. Now, folks, let me say this, and I'm I'm hesitant to say it because it's going to come as a shock to you. My interpretation of the Word is not perfect. It's close, but it's not perfect. You see, the Word of God is perfect, but my interpretation is an interpretation, not necessarily the interpretation. Now, there are some things that are not interpreted. There are some things that are absolute. When the Bible says that Jesus is the only way of salvation, he's the only way of salvation. When the Bible says there's a heaven, there's a hell, all those things, that, that is not up for interpretation. That's just a fact. But there are those passages in there that we interpret And my interpretation is not perfect. But that does not mean the Word of God is not. The Word of God is perfect. So we cherish it because it's perfect. We cherish it because it nourishes us. The Scripture says in Matthew 4, 4, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So so the Word of God then we cherish because it is nourishment for us. Unfortunately, there are many Christians who are malnourished because they are not spending time in the Word of God. Ray Pritchard wrote, we tend to substitute our knowledge and Christian activity for the simple discipline of a daily time with God and His Word. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but it resonated with me that we oftentimes substitute For spending time in the Word of God, our experience, our activity, rather than simply spending time in the Word of God. You see, we cherish the Word because that is our nourishment. We cherish the Word because it is light. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you and I live in a spiritually dark world. And we're looking for light. Well, the light is the Word of God. If you want light in this spiritually dark world, then go to the Word of God. We cherish it because it is truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. Boy, it's it's hard to find truth today. You turn on whatever cable it is that you watch it, it's biased. You go to the Internet and they're just outright lies there I'm, I'm amazed sometimes at some of the things I mentioned that you send me and, and you believe and, and me being a basic skeptic anyway I always and, and so many times just on there check at Snopes I check this out with Snopes and I'll go to Snopes and they'll say it's not true you want truth it's the word of God we cherish the word of God because it is truth. Well, how then do we appropriate it into our lives? That's what he says, that they took it into their lives. So how do we appropriate it into our lives? We hear it, we receive it, and we meditate upon it. Weersby said meditation is to the spiritual life what digestion is to the physical life. It takes time to meditate, but it is the only way to appropriate the word and grow. Now, we are to apply the Word of God to our lives for it to be successful. Now, listen, for it to be successful in your life, accomplishing what God intends for it to accomplish, then you have to be obedient to it. Not just hearing it, but obedient to it. James said in chapter 1, verse 22, But prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude delude themselves. We don't just, folks, it doesn't do a lot of good for you to come here on Sunday and hear the word unless you do the word. It it doesn't do us a lot of good just to have more information unless it affects our lives. When we apply the word of God, though, we have the power of God to do his work. Someone has said God's commandments are God's enablements. What he commands us to do, he enables us to do. So, as Paul is looking here at the Thessalonians, he said to them, First of all, within you there is the word of God. They had received it, they had accepted it, and it was energized within them. Secondly, he said, upon you are the enemies of God. Verse number 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen even as they did from the Jews. Now the evidence of God's word being within you is the power to continue when persecution comes. The evidence that God's word is in you and energized in you is your ability to continue during times of persecution. Now he used a word that's interesting here. It's countrymen. Albert Barnes said this word literally means those who are of your fellow tribe or fellow clansmen. The Greek word means one of the same tribe and then a fellow citizen or fellow countryman. It is not elsewhere used in the New Testament. So when he is talking about about them being attacked by their fellow countrymen, he is talking about them being attacked by their own. Well, That that is difficult when that happens. That's hard to deal with. When Jesus was betrayed, he was betrayed by one of his disciples. And that's one of the reasons it was so egregious is because the one who betrayed him was his disciple. Though that had been prophesied in Psalm 41, 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. You see, Jesus was betrayed by his countrymen, one of his disciples. Paul was deserted by Demas, a fellow minister. So Paul said, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Isn't it difficult for you when you come under attack or bad things are said about you by one of your own? Maybe someone you work with, maybe a family member, perhaps a friend, but someone that you know and they betray you, that's especially hard. And that's what Paul says of the Thessalonians. He says, your countrymen, one of your own clan, those of your own clan, they are the ones who betrayed you. He said, that's not pleasing to God. Look at verse number 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God. Folks, we need to remember that. When we attack other Christians, our own clan, that does not please God. Whenever we wound those who are like us, that does not please God. And so it brings about judgment. Look at verse 16. Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. These attacks, the Bible says, on the people of God brings the judgment of God. Now, he used the word fill up, which literally means fill up to the brim. Brian Bill wrote, God patiently waits as sinners rebel against him and watches as their sins get filled to the brim. When the time is up, God's patience will come to an end and judgment will fall. The wrath of God. Isn't that an interesting concept? that God watches as we are filled up to the brim with our sin, and when that time comes, we are filled to the brim, then God's wrath comes. Now, in effect, that had already happened to the, to the Jews because uh, they were under Roman rule at this time. So God's wrath had already come upon them. Sometimes I'm asked the question, do you believe that we are under the judgment of God? Do you believe that we are under the wrath of God now? And my answer to that is, is possibly so. I mean, now I, folks, I look at a lot of the things that we are doing in our country today. I look at a lot of things that go on in various churches today that are contrary to the word of God. Why do we think that we would escape his wrath when we're living our lives contrary to what he tells us? Someone might say, well, you know, things are not that much different than they've been in the past, so I don't see the wrath of God. Barnes gives an interesting comment about that. He said, it is not punishment that constitutes the wrath of God. That is the mere outward expression of the divine indignation. And the wrath of God may in fact have come upon a man when as yet there are no external tokens of it. We might be under the wrath of God, but the full force of that wrath has not yet been made known to us. So are we under the wrath of God? I think there's a strong possibility of that. So he says, upon you, are the enemies of God. So within you is the word of God, upon you the enemies of God, around you the people of God. Verse number 17. But we brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. When we are going through times of difficulty, times of suffering, when we are going through tribulation, we want to be around the people of God. we, We just want to know that you're praying for me, and all of those things. We want to be around the people of God. Now, he uses the word bereft, which literally means when we were made orphans. Barnes said it was such a state as that of one who had lost a parent. Now, I want you to. I want you to. This is this part of it's it a little bit amusing to me. Paul was not in Thessalonica very long. He came to preach the gospel to establish the church there. But then the Jewish opposition began to persecute him. They tried to kill him. He left there to go to Berea, and then they sent word and stirred up the opposition against him there. So they ran him out of Thessalonica. He went to Berea, and then they turned around and said, you know, you think Paul loves you? He left you. He's not even here. Well, the reason he left is because they ran him out. They were trying to kill him. That sounds to me like some of the politicians that we have to deal with today. They run you out and then say they don't care anything about you because they just ran you out. That's what happened to Paul. He said, no, that's, that's not the, the truth. He said, the fact is, I want. I, my desire was to be with you. My desire was to be with you. And then he says, to see your face. Do you desire to be with the people of God? I I thought about this quite a bit yesterday and I was sort of rehearsing this, just thinking it through. Paul said, no, I didn't leave because I wanted to. My desire was to be with you. He said, I wanted to see your face. That's the reason I love Sunday so much. I really look forward to Sunday all week because I want to see you. I, 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 like to, I like to see your face. I, I can't imagine someone knowing the Lord and knowing the people of God and not wanting to gather with the people of God. So I, I love Sundays. I look forward to them. In fact, there are many, this would be an interesting study for you, there are many one another verses in the Bible that speak about how we relate to each other as believers. And for instance, it says, love one another. In John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. That, that's a part of our relationship, we love one another. It's been a while since I've just directly told you, but let me say it today, I love you. I, I mean, I really do. I'm so thankful for you and I really love you. And there are a lot of reasons that I do, but I really love you. And that's what he says, that the the people of God, they love one another. He said that they accept one another. In Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us in the glory of God. Sometimes it's hard to accept those people who are not like us, isn't it? Even if we believe the same thing. I mean, if you know, if you're a Carolina fan and you're supposed to accept a Christian who's a Clemson fan. Those things sometimes, I, we were when we were with uh, our students in Israel, and Jay Strack was there and he was talking to my wife and he said, you know, Wendell's a little different. Well, that's true. And, and I know, and what he was talking about, what he meant by that, I have a hard time walking in lockstep with somebody I mean I just do I try but it's just hard for me to do and just because everybody else lines up and they're going in this direction I'm not necessarily going to go and that's what Jay was saying he says you know well you know we've done all these things and Wendell's just a little different but I know that he loves me and that's okay See, that's what, that's what the Bible says, that we accept one another. It's the people of God. We love one another. We accept one another. Even when we are not just exactly alike, we accept one another. He said we serve one another. Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. We encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Isn't it easy to see why Paul wanted to be with them? He said, I desire to be with you. He said, I wanted to see your face. Because the people of God are to love one another, accept one another, encourage one another, and serve one another. Be a good study for you. Just look at one one another and see some of those things. And then he said, against you is the adversary of God. Verse number 18. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us. Paul wanted to come, but it just didn't work out. The word thwarted that is used there is a military metaphor for an army that sets up roadblocks in order to impede the enemy. It can also refer to the breaking up of a road so that it becomes impassable. Satan sets up roadblocks to God's will. Therefore, we rely on the Lord. Even though Paul was not able to go to the church in Thessalonica, he wanted to, that was his desire, but he wasn't able to come there But they continued to grow. They were encouraged by the letters that he sent. The Holy Spirit ministered to them. The word of God was within them. And they continued to grow even though he could not be there. Good news is that Satan may obstruct our efforts, and sometimes he does. But God will not allow him to hinder the fulfillment of his plan. Things are not always fulfilled the way that I see them. But God's plan is going to be fulfilled. He said, before you are the rewards of God. Verse number 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. He said, the adversary is before us, but God's, uh, God, God's rewards are around us. He uses the word hope there. Barnes says, the meaning is that their conversion and salvation was one of the grounds of his hope. It was an evidence that he was a faithful servant of God and that he would be rewarded in heaven. He said, you are my hope. You are my hope. You have been saved. You've been born again. You're going to heaven. He said, you are my hope. And then he uses the word joy. Paul says that you are my source of joy. Brian wrote, the word joy pictures his own inner feelings when he sees them presented to the Lord and welcomed into his kingdom. Paul says, you are my hope because you have been saved. He said, you are my joy because one day you're going to stand before the Lord and he is going to invite you in. That gives me great joy. And he says, you are my crown. And that speaks of the victor's wreath. Paul had been hindered by Satan, but he was victorious in Christ. Let me conclude. We face tribulation in this world. Now, my friend, you can try to deny it, but it does not change it. The fact of the matter is we face difficulty, tribulation, and suffering in this life. But tribulation does not stop our victory in Jesus. Why? Because he says that we have the word of God within We have God's people around us, and his rewards are before us. Even though we have tribulation, we are nevertheless victorious. Ray Pritchard wrote, Sooner than you think, you'll be lying in a box six feet underground with grass growing over your head. And all the things of this life won't matter at all. Someone else will have all your money and your job. Your fame will fade, your glory will disappear, and everything you owned will belong to others. And you will eventually be forgotten except by those people who stumble on your gravestone a hundred years from now and say, I wonder who that guy was. Thus, Howard Hendricks wrote, It only makes sense to build your life around those things that will last forever. What are you building your life around? Some of you, truthfully, are building your life around pleasure. Some of you around recognition. Some of you around success. Some of you around money. And all those things are going to disappear. The only thing that matters, the only thing that lasts, is your relationship to Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Because He gives you joy now and forevermore if you know Him. Our gracious Father and God, as we come to a time of invitation, I pray that You will help us to examine our own lives, our own priorities. Father, that we might honestly ask the question, where do I stand with God? Lord, I know that there are those who are going through times of tribulation and suffering. I pray that you'll be with them today, and I pray that they might be encouraged by your word. I pray that you'll give them victory. And Lord, I pray for those who need a church home, that they would feel comfortable here to be a part of this family. I pray your blessings upon this invitation and ask that you draw people unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand and extend an invitation. If you're here without Christ, would you receive him today? Commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. There'll be staff members here to receive you as you come. Stand with me, please. They sing, You Come. We'll greet you as you do.